called the Calendar Islands, so all the islands off the coast of Maine. And there's six of them that the local ferry runs to pretty regularly, you know, multiple times throughout the day. Having a bookmobile has always been like a, mm. a dream of mine. And there are a lot of food trucks that will go out for the day to park at um, Peaks or Little Diamond, like one of the islands that we have out in, uh, in Casco Bay. And man, someday having a bookmobile and being a, not just because it would be great to be on the main islands during the summer, but uh, being able to go out to an island and, and run a bookmobile for for weekends on the main coast would be so much fun. So I don't know anything about the finances or really logistics legally or otherwise about doing that, but it, it would be a lot of fun. See, I pictured a flotilla where you had like a, like a pontoon bookmobile. Oh, that's very good. That's <laughs> you could go like good. island yeah. to island, and then you could like yeah. roll up on the beach, you know, like like a popsicle cartwood or whatever. Like an amphibious, <laughs> amphibious bookmobile kind of. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the real uh, thing to figure out for for either of those is just how to display all the zines, and then I think we'd have to figure it Always the most important question. Hi, I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 28 years. I'm Ellie Blue, the Vice President of Microcosm. We started this podcast to share what we've learned with newer publishers so you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to learn about the publishing industry. This week, we welcome Josh Christie, who is the co-owner with Emily Russo of Print, a bookstore in the other Portland, Portland, Maine. And uh, so can you tell us a little bit, Josh, about what makes your store special and different from, say, other bookstores? Sure. And of course, thanks for having me on as well. I've been an admirer of Microcosm for a long time, as you Thank know, you. Uh, from my, my public presence and from hopefully from your sales reports as well. <laughs> so we are, we are big Microcosm fans. Um, We've heard tell yeah, of your wall of zines. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah, so Print a Bookstore, we opened in 2016, and my business partner Emily and I had both spent a number of years working in bookstores. Um, at that point, me for about 12, and I think her for about seven. Um, and we wanted to, and hopefully have achieved with Print, opening a store that was very event-focused. We do 100 plus events a year at the store, so a couple events a week all throughout the year. Um, we also are like, we opened the store a week after the election was called for Donald Trump in, um, 2016. So right after that call, we had, um, some very early morning bourbon together, actually in the office of the store, I bought a bottle on my way in we sat down and said, you know, we don't want to, to have a store that is everything to everyone. That's not really our mission. We want a store that reflects our values and reflects our community. So we're going to be unabashedly progressive. We're going to be unabashedly queer. We aren't going to stock things that are right wing or even things that are terribly centrist, just in the interest of representing everyone. We want a store that represents our community, which I think comes through in in what we do at print and what we sell um and we also had the benefit of being the fourth independent bookstore to open 
in the city of Portland, um, which is a, a pretty small city, the the other Portland, as you said, although we might quibble on who is, who is the other Portland. Um, but it meant that things that we weren't passionate about or thought we couldn't do as well as other bookstores in town, super commercial fiction, for example, some stuff like that, we didn't need to stock that at our store because there were other stores that would sell those things. We could lead really hard into the things that we loved, um, which means a lot of like academic and small presses. It does mean zines. Um, it means like weird shit for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, and I think the other thing, sorry, this is a long answer, but the other thing I'll say for um, what makes print different is we really try to run like a bookseller first, almost democratically run bookstore. There's very little we do in terms of policy decisions, stocking decisions, stuff like that, that hasn't been filtered through talking with our entire team and making sure it's something that fits for all of us, um, which which I does make us um, not unique in the world of bookstores, because there are certainly other bookstores that run that way, including you know, like Danny Kane, who's one of your authors, his store, he runs, I think, the same way. Um, but it, it does put us in a minority, I think, at least among independent bookstores. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. I um, want to go visit Portland and all the bookstores in Portland, Maine now, especially yours. Um, yeah. Why personally, I mean, it sounds like you bring so much like passion to this. What personally brought you into the bookselling world? So I got a degree in political science in college and didn't want to become a lawyer. And it turns out there's very little you can do with a degree in political science if you don't want to become a lawyer and don't want to go into academia. Um, and I started between my freshman and sophomore year in college, I started working summers and then weekends and, and practically full time for a chain of bookstores in Maine called Sherman's Books. Um, worked for them all through college, and then after bouncing around a little bit after getting my degree, ended up working for them full time for um, nearly a decade. Um, worked as a buyer for them, and um, eventually helped to design and then open and manage their store in Portland, Maine, which is another one of the stores, as I mentioned, in Portland. Um, and somewhere along the way there, as I was um, working as a full-time bookseller and also doing some freelance writing and, and writing a couple books of my own, realized that it could go from um, kind of an avocation into a vocation. It could go from just a job into a career. Uh, and that was how I ended up doing it. And what I think of now as I enter my 20th year doing this um, there's a great video game writer named Jeff Gerstmann, who for years, his Twitter profile was, I've been writing about video games for years. It would be crazy to do anything else now. And I feel kind of the same way about book selling. Like I've been doing this so long. What else would I do with myself? So. Yep. 28th year for me too. And who, yeah. 29th, 29th year begins in uh, a month now less than a month, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of a wild thing that you fall into. But yeah, so, but I appreciate that. And, you know, and I really appreciate because we approached it the same way when, you know, we really thought of microcosm as not being all things to all people and that being sort of intentional. And, you know, when we opened our first store 20 some years ago, 
you know, people come in and they're like, I'm looking for a murder mystery or like, I'm looking for like this religious text. And you're like, oh, we don't have that, you know, like go mm -hmm. to yeah. the other, you know, and they would just be like, scandalized. They'd be like, what? You know, like, how, mm -hmm. like, how dare you, you know? And then when, and you know, and I, you know, at some point I was like, I bet more stores will go in this direction because mm -hmm. it, it's just more of a logical direction to have a more curated store because then you can have people that are actually passionate about the books on the shelves. And you have the other advantage where it's like, then you have a value system that like your customers can buy into, but I don't need to sell you on the merits of the system you've already adopted. But well, I, well, I always think of like, it's always hard to draw analog between book selling and other industries, because I think that there are so many weirdly unique things about book selling, many of them wonderful, some of them not. But um, like what I always think of is a vegetarian restaurant. And you may have people that come in and complain that they can't get a hamburger or complain that you are just vegetarian and not carrying, you know, carrying, not serving something else. Uh, that doesn't mean you should start serving hot dogs. It, it just means that you aren't everything to everyone and that's okay. And I think in a world where our biggest competitor is Amazon and they literally advertise themselves as the everything store, it's tempting. But on the other hand, as you know, like we can't compete with that. So why try to compete with that when we can do our own thing better? And that and that's kind of the the funny thing. Whereas you know, I was, was going to say, we don't say the name of that business on this podcast, but. We'll make an exception for you and you thank you. <laughs> so but so can you tell us a little bit more about like your day-to-day -day role there? Like what makes for the most fun days? Sure, yeah. I am still very much an on-the-floor bookseller. So um day-to-day, -day, um, my days are usually nine to five, which is nice. Um and we're open from eleven to five. Um, so I'll go into the store and often work on orders with my business partner, Emily. Um, she takes a bit more of a lead in the book buying these days as I do a lot more of the sideline and not book buying, non-book buying. Um, but we'll work on that and generally talk about everything, you know, you might expect from a small business owner from HR issues to, uh, money management for the store. Uh, paying invoices, stuff like that. We work on that together. And then generally speaking, when I don't have an appointment with a sales rep to um, buy books for the coming season or something like that, I'll be on the store of the floor uh, from when we open to when we close. So from 11 to 5, um, we get UPS and, and FedEx shipments throughout the day. So um, we'll receive that new inventory, put it out on the shelves, work with customers, uh, so that's really the typical day. Um, starting during the pandemic and continuing now, um, I'm in the store four days a week and work from home one day a week. Um, all of our full-time booksellers have a mix of work from home days and in-store days. So it's always a, a different mix of people in the store. Um, and when I'm working from home, it's some of the remote and larger picture, you know, social media stuff, website stuff. Um, talking with folks on podcasts, stuff like that is, is what fills up my work from home days. Oh, well, thanks for including us in uh, your work 
your work from home. I day. would do this every week if I could. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, we're we have had a bookstore. We closed it before the pandemic. Like we get it. We have a mix of like work from home and work on site people as well. And I feel like that puts us in a position to kind of understand a little bit more of what it's like to be a bookseller and like what people need in order to hand sell books on the store floor. But also, you know, we're removed from it. And the more we get removed from it, the more we forget. So we're always asking people at bookstores. And I think our audience wants to know this too. Like, what do you wish more publishers understood about bookstores? That's a really great question. And and it's hard to answer when the publisher when you put publishers all in one bucket because yes. like the things that I wish microcut there's very little actually I can think of that that I wish microcuts would do about bookstores. Uh, I'm not so saying we would that love just to do it. I'm on the bucket. Yeah, yeah, whatever whatever little thing it is. <laughs> you, you, you can take us to task. You have full access. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think part of it comes from I think the best publishers, best publisher sales reps all of that for booksellers are people that worked in bookselling in one way or another, which you had. So you really understand what the issues are. I think something we run it and you, you also have a great sales team. Uh, so I think the thing I run into with, I won't name anyone in particular, but larger publishers is really while there is this great, um, you know, we all love to talk about how much we love how different all independent bookstores are and everyone has their own personality. And that's the great thing about independent bookstores is that we're all different, different customers do different things, different missions. And the way that most publishers sell their books to us, sell their catalogs to us is exactly the same across the board. Um, the big like commercial fiction as i mentioned earlier for a lot of publishers of fiction will be a huge part of the lead of their catalog um starting on the promotional side as well you know what we're getting multiple copies of galleys of is these bigger books that don't necessarily appeal to us or to our customers um and, and it's really tough to hear on the one hand the the love for independent bookstores and how different we are. And then on the other, be sold everything in the exact same way. Um, I don't know what the solution is because it would obviously be great for independent bookstores, but probably terrible for publishers if the only things they offered discounts on were the things that we already wanted to buy. Like, I don't think that's how you run a successful sales force, <laughs> although I don't have any experience with that necessarily. Um, but I think that's the thing that I wish publishers understood about bookstores is really the unique markets and needs for everyone, um, as opposed to just saying that something they love about bookstores as to actually in some way on the promotional and sales side, communicating that they understand that. I love that. And I love that because whenever you're in a meeting with salespeople, they really talk about stores like yours and sometimes literally specifying yours as like you're relied upon and thus responsible for trend setting and like creating buzz. Mm -hmm. And there's no room for what the actual focus of your story is. <laughs> you know, so they're yeah. so like they have a series of books and they're like, these are the lead titles for the season, and we need these ones to like have some amount of excitement around them. There's never a point when they're like, does this actually make sense as an ask? Why would the store care about this agenda that we're pushing on them? 
So I think you're right. And I, you know, I have a background in sales. You know, I used to do sales to stores like yours. And, you know, and it was always the thing where like you get the best feedback because a buyer will usually come back very bluntly and be like, no, we would never ever buy that. But you don't necessarily mm -hmm. get the other side of it where that feedback doesn't go up the chain at a bigger company. So like they don't hear yeah. what they need to hear from you to be like, no, stores like that are never gonna buy books like this. Like that's that's designed for like a chain in the suburbs. It's not designed for like an urban store that has dedicated customers. And you know, and I think that I'm sure those are the people that do not partake in our podcast. But so are there other things there that publishers seem to think are important but doesn't actually matter to you like services that they're trying to like you know put out a red carpet for you but you're like no that i don't actually care yeah yeah i think and again um varies by publisher but god um swag if we can talk about swag which so many big publishers do and I want to be kind of qualified in my answer because there is so much swag that is like very obviously promotional garbage that does not matter to a bookstore. Uh, you can you can print a beautiful bookmark and send us a stack of them, but most of the time we don't need bookmarks. Postcards, stuff like that. Weirdly enough, it's a lot of the swag that is meant to be customer-facing, stuff that we're we're putting on the counter or putting in a, a free box to give out to customers. Um, the flip side of that is if publishers send us swag that has some sort of utility, meaning like I still have in my desk here somewhere a publisher-branded uh, measuring tape, which I use probably once a week for stuff that I'm doing at the store you send a ruler, if you send a stack of post-it notes, as long as the promotion for the book doesn't take up the entirety of the front of the post-it note, um, pens, we need pens at the counter at the store. Like that stuff is has utility and makes us, meaning um, bookstores and our booksellers, think of your publisher, whether it's like the best kind of advertising, because whether it's conscious or subconscious, we're thinking you every single day because we're seeing your logo every single day. Um, and I think that's what's um, uh, kind of, it's flipping your question because it is saying what is important to us, but the thing that is not important to us is most of the swag that we get from publishers, which is, is really just, you know, I don't know where the money is going in terms of our points on discount from a publisher when they're sending us stuff that's literally going, we didn't ask for and is going right in the garbage after we get it. Like that seems like, uh, yeah. it's not it's not the solution to publishing's money woes, but it certainly seems like it's a piece of it that could be considered. Um, right. and, and that's that's how I would take it too, where if I, you know, and we have a box in the front of our store and it would get filled until it was overfilled. And then you just like start putting things straight in the recycling and, and then you're like, Wait, they're paying to make this. Shouldn't this money go to their employees instead? You know, it's like, no. Yeah. And yeah, that, do we need three cool. copies of a galley we didn't ask for and aren't buying for the store? <laughs> right. We don't need one. We certainly don't need three. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, back to a positive note, um, 
just kind of as you are out there selling books every day and working on your business and kind of thinking about the future, like what is the most important thing to you about book selling? So I think if I can tie this into a previous question, I think both the most important thing to me about book selling and what I wish most publishers understood more about bookstores is the importance of booksellers. Um, the frontline booksellers at any store are what makes that store work. Uh, I think it is not recognized often enough that, um, you know, getting recommendations, books being on the shelf, the store being clean and open, uh, having someone to talk to, like none of that happens without frontline booksellers. Um, so I'll take this opportunity to say that, you know, Emily and I, our store wouldn't be what it is without Amanda, Connor, Steph, and Noah, who are our frontline booksellers at the store. Like, like that is the most important thing about bookselling to me as someone that has, has made it into a career and would like to see a world in which it is a possible career path. Not for everyone, not even everyone in a bookstore wants to make it a career, but for people that do, I think it's really import important. Um, and I think the other most important thing about bookselling to me is connecting with our community. Um, it's really been cool, whether it's running book clubs and events with other community organizations or bringing authors to town that will interest our customers and people in Portland and and further afield from Portland, especially when we were doing virtual events. Um, it's a, I don't often think of it as like a service that we offer is, is this kind of connection of people to people, but it really is along with just, you know, book selling isn't just selling books. Um, the, the, it's not a physical, you know, a cash transaction of someone walks into the store, we take their money and we give them a physical book. It's so much more than that. And that's what, what has kept me doing it for all these years and is going to keep me doing it because it'd be crazy to do anything else now. I love that. And like, I, I love the, I've, I've been thinking a lot recently, every time I hear the phrase frontline bookseller, I'm like, where did that phrase come from? I don't think I heard that until a few years ago. It makes it sound like we're at war and maybe it feels that way too. Like, I mean, based on when you open the shop, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, it depends on where your store is and who your customers are. <laughs> what um, can I ask just kind of your thoughts as a bookseller and a bookstore owner? Like, what would it take to make bookselling a sustainable long-term profession? I, unfortunately, I think a lot of it is out of the hands of both our our store and more broadly our industry, I think. Um, you know, a single payer healthcare system would be a huge part of that. Um, I think that there are certainly things that stores can do in terms of employee benefits and stuff like that, but higher minimum wages, I think are great. Um, I think that, but really like, it sounds like a talking point from 2012, but it's still true. Um, healthcare, healthcare yeah. is a huge cost. Um, yeah. And we're lucky that we're in a position that we um, fully subsidize 100% of all our employees' health insurance, and we have insurance for everyone, which is a great thing to be able to offer. But on the flip side of that, you know, we could offer more in terms of wages or other benefits if that wasn't wasn't something that that we were paying for. Um, and every single year, when we look at our our PNL, um, all we're really looking at is. You know, my my business partner Emily and I have no interest in like making a quick buck off of 
book selling and enriching ourselves, it's all meant to go back to our employees. And when you look at the line items, um, health insurance is a big one. Yeah, yeah, it's huge for us too. It's yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, 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 I'll be a little soapboxy on something that's a little, a little more specific to our industry is a lot of publishers, the margin or discount is um, a lot less than a lot of other retail. You know, it's between yeah. 40 and 50%, whereas mm -hmm. most retail is Keystone 50% or more. And that extra couple books on every, couple bucks on every single book we sell, these discounts that haven't changed for 20, 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. um, a couple more bucks made on every single book, uh, especially for stores that are interested in putting them back into their employees um, could be huge. So, so that's another thing that there perhaps is a little bit more control within our industry to change. Right. Can, could give, give you the budget that was going into the, all the posters they're mailing you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you heard that, publishers, it's not too late to change your ways. But do you have a funny, um, or actually, no. Um, I heard you tell a story on a, I think it was an ABA Zoom, or maybe it was um, an IPC Zoom, where you told a story about how you put all the microcosm sec books in one section in your store, and then this was actually one of the best performing sections of your store. And this is literally what we were asking our sales reps when we were sold by PGW and by IPG and by NBN. We asked them to do that for 20 years and they were like, oh, no stores would ever do that. That's like a pipe dream. So why did you do that? Oh, do you want the real answer? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I the mean, the real answer one is great is too. Good. So, so the, <laughs> The thing is that our store, up until we started carrying zines, um, we had a policy that was largely built around buying for, um, you know, self-published and, and small press books that we didn't want to stock anything that was staple bound rather than having a full binding uh, because it's very hard to shelve that stuff face uh, spine out on a shelf if you're seeing nothing but staples, there's no way to sell it, right? Um, but I wanted scary zines at the store and I thought the microcosm was so cool that I was like, well, I will bring in a ton and there's no way to do this other than clear out about, if I'm doing the math in my head here, um, probably like 20 plus square feet of slat wall and just dedicate it to nothing but microcosm books. Um, <laughs> so it was a fault of the fact that, um, there was no other way to shelve your products. It was the only way I could bring them into the store. Um, Is but it a it feature or a bug? Exactly, yeah, I, I love it. Um, and it has been really cool um, to, to use it. It has helped, you know, it's a big section of the store. It's one of our biggest turn sections of the store. So one of the, the best selling sections of the store. And as it has grown, it has increased our ability to bring on you know, local zines and, and small publishers, uh, particularly of poetry um, that kind of fit the same trim size and, and appeal to a lot of the same audience. Uh, so that is really um, what we've done, but it's only grown in size since we did that. And if I hadn't run out of slat wall, <laughs> we're looking at ways to, to make the section even bigger. So it's it's been great. 
That's awesome. And I mean, that's not the answer I expected, but that's kind of the answer I expected because I know it's always a logistical because, you know, I built custom shelving for the very same reason where I was, you know, when we opened the store, I was like, well, how do you display these things? Like there's only one way and it's face out and having very narrow depth and then just having thousands of them. And yeah, yeah I, the I, same thing. I teach a book selling, uh, I teach in a bookseller school and teach a couple of courses. And one of the courses is on children's book selling. And part of that is instructing new buyers that you really need to pay attention when you're buying to the trim size of the book. Cause you have everything from the nutshell library books that are like two inches by two inches up yeah. to like the little Gestalten books that are, I am probably off on this, but feel like they're like two feet by three feet sometimes. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. but yeah, but that and that's that's great though. I mean, and I love and I, you know, and I love it that you've like took a logistical problem and you created a logistical series of solutions. I mean, it's one of the most things fun things, and I never would have expected this before we opened print because I'd never worked as a buyer for non-book products before. And it's one of the fun things about bringing in sidelines, uh, which is where am I going to put these things when they come into the store? How am I going to sell them? Uh, the place we most recently ran into it, and again, the solution has largely been flat wall along with some other things, is we decided to start carrying vinyl records last year, um, which has been super fun, um, but figuring out how best to display those. When we don't have you know record bins at the store or anything like that, how do we make sure that people can look through these? They're another thing that you can't just pile on the shelf together. It's been really fun to figure that out. Lightning question, what is the emerging trend that nobody knows about yet? That Oh man, I want to say vinyl just so I can sell more. But in uh, the way that publishing sometimes lags a little bit behind popular culture, but it still seems to be emerging um, is uh, craft mocktails, you know, in our uh, cookbook section, which is a big section for the store and particularly our beverage section, um, non-alcoholic drinks, um, people that are either doing um, dry January and so sober uh there has been a huge trend uh towards more and more drink books about making non-alcoholic drinks which i think has been really cool yeah that is really we, cool we've seen that too yeah where there's more and more of that and you know it's a we we had done a zine of the sober travel handbook see i'm going to tie it all together now and we just signed the paperback with that author and you know and she was stoked and you know and, it, and it's because of that same thing where we're seeing it where we're like oh people are finally ready for like the the like non-alcoholic drinking books and you know and so this is like sort of a mishmash of like three aspects of that so it's not like exactly a cookbook but we sell a lot of those too but it's also like sort of tying together a lot of what's out there um but and the, speak speaking of and so you write your own books as well. Um, and mm -hmm. so do you do you treat this? So you write about like beer and the outdoors. And are these like your passions and your hobbies that you like found there was a lacking requisite book on the shelf? Or is this like an extension of your career? Where is or do you like do this on the weekends? Like where does this fall into your life and why? It's definitely weekends. It's been even more weekends since opening my own store with Emily. Uh, and really, there's there's not a lot of time to write. 
Um, but no, my uh, degree, at, uh, as I mentioned, degrees in political science, but I actually went to the University of Maine in Farmington. And the reason I went was to go into certificate program for um, outdoor recreation and particularly alpine skiing. Um, and I never really ended up using that certificate in a you know, real career kind of way, but it led me to doing a lot more writing about the outdoors. Um, and then the writing about beer was really, uh, uh, kind of fell backwards into, especially as someone that was straight edge earlier in my life, up through the start of college. But um, I, I really fell in love with the craft beer industry here in Maine. And after I got my degree, I realized I feel like, you know, you start writing when you go through school, you start writing when you're in like third or fourth grade and you write, you write, you write, you write all through college. And the, unless you go into a career that involves a lot of writing, you just stop like all of a sudden after, after you oh. graduate from college. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I'd put a lot of years into developing those muscles and they were kind of atrophying. So I was like, well, I'll start um, blogging about beer. This was uh, 2008. So back when blogging was like the path that all of us were going to take to riches. <laughs> so I started, um blogging about beer and had written enough online for free that eventually i started uh making some pitches and getting hired to do some freelance pieces and all of that turned into a publisher reaching out to me asking for a book um on the history of beer in maine uh so that was the first one nice. the second book kind of sprung out of that and then the two outdoors books i had also um worked as a columnist for our local paper writing about the main outdoors um, and a local publisher had inquired about um, basically binding up those columns um, into a single book. Um, and, and it was a really wonderful experience, especially because for a good deal of my career before he passed away, my father and I were alternating weeks for writing those columns, either about skiing or about the main outdoors. So he and I actually co-authored the two books, The Main Outdoor Adventure Guide and Skiing Maine. Um, nice. so, so that was really great. Nice. Okay. Um, so do you have a funny story with about, you know, that has maybe occurred inside print that our audience would be entertained by? I wish I did. We if people don't know for interviews. You often have like the questions beforehand, and I saw that. I've been racking my brain, and I really don't have anything other than um, our our entire staff, myself included, being fairly certain the story is haunted. Um, Whoa, that's pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, there's a, a ghost who has been named Howie. Who at, at any old you know we're in a hundred plus year old building, but it's been many things over its lifespan um and we would eventually uh find that things were seemed to be jumping off the shelves or lights were doing funny things or the electricity was doing funny things and rather than assign those uh those happenings to the fact that we're in a very old building we assumed oh it must be a ghost so that's howie who uh, keeps us all on our toes at the store howie seems like uh they have the makings of a frontline bookseller as phone yes <laughs> Luckily, so far, he only seems to chuck books at us and not at customers. So <laughs> as long as he stays stays in his lane there, I think we're good. <laughs> cool. 
Wow. Well, next time we'll have Howie on the podcast. Yeah. um, (laughs) Thank you so much. Do you do interviews? Yeah. Mm. Um, Yeah, though I don't think you'll hear anything back, unfortunately. (laughs) We'll send a little Morse code signal through the lights. Exactly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Well, do you have any words of wisdom to part with us, to part with our listeners with? Um go to your local independent bookstore and get to know the booksellers there. That's talking about the most fun parts of the job. Um, Really in retail, it is easy to complain about customers, but bookstore customers generally are wonderful as, as you I'm sure know from experience as well. Um, And through our bookstore and through our book clubs, um, developing genuine friendships and relationships with our customers uh, has really been one of the highlights of the career. And and we'd like to think that we're giving good book, book recommendations um, and, and putting the right books in people's hands. But we learn so much about books and about people to be more romantic about it from our customers. So shop at your local independent bookstore. They're great. <laughs> nice. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. This has been an interview with Josh Christie of Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine. um, And it's part of our Bookstore Solidarity Project series. Um, Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at Microcosm. On Facebook at Microcosm Publishing. On Instagram at Microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.